You are listening. You are listening. You are listening to the Fly Fishing ninety seven podcast. Well, well, I mean that's the beauty of fly fishing. There are so many varieties, and a lot of uh, the seasons. Uh, for example, I've been now lately the last three years now I've been falling in love with the tropical fly fishing, like in Mexico, for example. Uh, saltwater species are it's the whole the whole thing is so enjoyable. The fact that you can lay on the beach with a pina colada and then just run out because there's a school of bonefish coming in. Uh, I love I love that. Yeah, I love that combination. Uh, but if someone would say, "Tell us, okay, you're allowed to do one more uh, fishing," uh, what would it be? Uh, and for me, the swinging a fly for an Atlantic salmon, for example, in Norway, uh, there is something with it that I I, uh, I haven't yet found anything that beats that feeling. Welcome to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast, featuring interviews with passionate people within the fly fishing industry. We focus on guides, conservation, resort managers, gear, and talented fly tires bringing usable information to fly fishers. The Fly Fishing 97 podcast is brought to you by The Fly Crate. Theflycrate.com is your source for all things fly fishing. The Fly Crate offers a monthly fly club. We select patterns every month for your home waters. With membership, you'll receive flies created to match the hatch in your area, along with the Fly Crate's guide magazine, the convenience of having flies delivered right to your door, some sweet stickers. Discover new patterns and start stocking your fly boxes now. Theflycrate.com Here's your host, Mark Hopley. Really excited to welcome Telus Katsiogenos to the program out of Torslanda, Sweden, just outside of Gothenburg. Now, Telus is a certified casting instructor, world champion spay caster. He's also a guide. He runs TSD Fly Tackle in his home country of Sweden and also has the TSD Rod Series, Mavros. Check him out. Uh, we'll chat with Telus in just a moment. But first, we want to um, say thank you for listening in the top 10 cities this week. Uh, number one was uh, Surrey, B.C., followed by Tamika, Indonesia. Then next was uh, Los Angeles, California, Salt Lake City, Utah, San Antonio, Texas, Sligo, Ireland, Atlanta, Georgia, Bozeman, Montana, Oliver, B.C., and Omaha, Nebraska. Thanks, folks, for listening this week. Welcome to this edition of the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. We are going to head to Sweden today on the program. We want to welcome Telus Katsogianos out of Torslanda, Sweden, uh, just outside of Gothenburg. Now, this gentleman is a certified casting instructor, uh, world champion spay caster, guide, has TSD fly tackle. We could talk about all kinds of things today. Uh, Telus, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. It's my pleasure. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, well, let's. I always like to start the program off by looking kind of at your fly fishing history. So maybe you can tell us a little bit about, first off, how did you come to discover fly fishing? Uh, well, funny, it's always been, I've always been very attracted to water. Uh, even as a kid, I was, when we spent the summers in Greece, I was spending more time at, at the water than anyone else. And it's funny because there's no one really in my family that has the sport fishing as an interest. So that was just something that came. Uh, and then started fishing as a kid, you know, spinning reels and uh, all different types of fishing, uh, angling and everything. And then 
fly fishing attracted me. Well, I don't know the the main reason for it, but it was in a way very fascinating seeing that fly line going in the air. Uh, and I started with like after school prog programs, I joined those. Uh, and one of those when I was, I don't know, around 11, 10, 11. I was turning 11. Uh, I joined one of those uh, programs and it was fly tying and fishing. So I started tying flies before I got my first rod. Uh, and then at, as a Christmas gift, that uh, Christmas 95, I got my first fly rod and I was over excited. I was <laughs> running down out on the snow, started like just doing what I thought was something correct. and. Uh, and fell in love with the, the fact of fly casting and uh, the whole fly fishing, everything within it uh, attracted me very much. Tell us, I got to tell you, you're, you're probably one of the first people I've talked to that actually started tying flies before you actually got to use them. That's that's a little different approach. Yeah, it is. I know. I'd say with, I have very good friends of mine who's fly fished for now 20 years, really good salmon anglers and everything. They don't then don't tie flies. They're like, ah, there's people better than me doing that, so I will just fish. Uh, well, fly tying was, I think it was just a coincidence. If it would have been fly fishing, I would have started, but that, that was some uh, part that got me introduced to it. Uh, I've always, uh, always been pretty creative uh, when it comes to like using my hands. Uh, I used to draw a lot when I was in grade school. And so for me, this kind of, I don't know, artistic side of me enjoyed the fly tying. Uh, even though today I'm I'm putting all my focus in flies is to be as fast, simple and effective as possible. I, have, I don't put much uh, artwork into the flies. I'm just looking at, at the fly as a necessity for fishing. Most of the flies that you're tying these days, would they be geared for Atlantic salmon? Or what kind of species are you targeting in your home waters? Uh, me mostly. Uh, since I'm born, uh, Gothenburg is a coastal city on the west coast. We have the Atlantic pretty much straight outside. Uh, so we're fishing for coastal trout very much. So that's a lot of streamers. Like, Well, if you have a woolly bugger in a couple of colors, and if you get here sometime, you're, you're more or less set. So, but then, uh, so it's mostly coastal flies, streamers, uh, salmon flies, like tube flies. Mm -hmm. uh, so are you... Sometimes with small twists, of course. Are you doing a lot of walk and wade? Are you drifting rivers? Describe your normal day when you're fishing in uh, in and around uh, Torslanda. Uh, well, around here, around Gothenburg, we, well, we do have some rivers with salmon, uh, and, uh, but they're, they're, I mean... If you catch one, if you spend a lot of time one season and catch one salmon in my home river, you should be satisfied because it's the, the run of salmon in those rivers are very poor. Uh, so most of my uh, home fishing is, is the coastal sea trout, the sea running brown trout. Uh, and that's everything from early in the spring, we're wading around in shallow waters, uh, freezing our asses off more or less in... in <laughs> Sometimes we do still do have some ice when we start fishing. Uh, and then, uh, then I mean, later in the spring, we're fishing more off uh, cliffs and uh, a little bit deeper parts, finding the trout. And as the water gets warmer, the trout are more uh, going out to the 
open waters. Right. So uh, for for North Americans, would the, so when you say uh, are these sea run trout like similar to like a steelhead or? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. So um, are we talking rainbow trout that go to? Are we talking brown trout? What type of trout? Uh, brown trout. Ah. Brown trout. Yeah, sea running browns. That's uh, our and we have them naturally here, so we don't have any uh, like stocked or. Uh, I mean, we do a lot of conservation work to help fix what we once destroyed but we otherwise we're not stocking any juvenile fish or anything so all all the trout on the west coast here is wild wild fish uh, which is pretty cool i've talked to quite a few people about that style of fishery you know what amazes me is how many different names like a sea run brown has depending on where you live yeah yeah (laughs) what do you call them uh we call them uh, huffs oring which is sea trout Oring is the tr- name for trout. Yep. Got uh, and we only have, basically, we only have a resident, uh, or naturally, we only have brown trout. And then we have the, the different types of char and grayling. But we do not have uh, the uh, variety of different, like, for example, in South Europe, you have marble trout, you have brown trout. Uh, we more or less just have brown trout as the, the original trout. And then, of course, the varieties of it is st- still the same species, but some some stays in the lake, some lives in the rivers, and some choose to go out in the ocean. Right. So I want to take a minute, tell us, to get to know you and your area uh, a little bit. You ready for a few rapid-fire questions that may or may not have anything to do with fishing? Sure. Uh, what kind of music you listen to? So when you're on the way to the water, say you've got a little drive time, what's uh, what's playing on the stereo? Uh, well, the short answer is everything that's good, uh, <laughs> because I have very broad, broad uh, yeah. music uh, yeah. interest, or I like everything. But I would say uh, the two s- genres that are mostly playing are either uh, 60s, 70s rock, uh, or uh, like. I sometimes come into like tropical lounge house music that can be that can be very enjoyable when driving a lot of kilometers or miles. Uh, yeah. So th- I would say those two are the the most played right now at least. That kind of chill laid back. Yeah, I get that. That's kind of nice, especially on a long drive for sure. One go-to fly pattern tell us that you can't live without. So if you had to pick one fly pattern and fish it a lot, what would that be? For trout or salmon or for everything? Ah, that's a great question. So how about how about these sea run browns? What would you target? Uh, I would say we have a... Uh, it's called a killer worm, which actually one of my patterns, which is a very simple pattern, uh, called drepar musk in Swedish, but it's killer worm, which is an imitation of a small sandworm or clam worm that uh, swarms during the summer nights. Uh, it just... Uh, a little bit of marabou in the uh, as a tail, then you just dub the marabou. That's it's that's it. What color? Uh, and in orange, orange. Ah, yeah, yeah. Uh, ah. That works as an attractor or streamer. Uh, and then during those, it is about three or four weeks during the summer, from midsummer and a few weeks actually this time of year. Uh, during the nights, you have those big swarms of these uh, uh, when they're like hatching or. Uh, spawning this when these worms are spawning 
it's when if you put your flashlight in uh, on when it's dark and you like look in the water it's almost like a x-files episode when they see these worms sort of like like swirling <laughs> around <laughs> uh, right, on. right on sounds interesting i i think i know exactly what are those are those um weighted down with some type of tungsten bead or something or how do you make that sink uh, normally you just use it, uh, no weighted at all. And then you were fishing most, most of the times here on the coast, we're fishing like intermediate lines. That's like the, uh, go-to line. And sometimes we use heavier sinking lines for like daylight fishing in summertime when it's warm, uh, or floating lines. If the fish is very shallow, going in very shallow waters in the springtime, most of the times it's though we were fishing intermediates. Do you have a favorite place to talk fly fishing? So when you're not on the water or uh, guiding is there a place you go whether it's a, maybe a pub or a fly shop a coffee shop is there somewhere you go to get your fix uh when you're not in the water well we used to have a uh, well we have of course several local tackle shops uh which i i know most of the people there as well but i had one that's unfortunately uh, went out of business two years ago uh and i used to work there about 17 years ago, like a summer work. Uh, mm -hmm. So of course, sometimes I went there just for a cup of coffee and buy the unnecessary bag of dubbing or whatever, just to right. uh, talk some stuff. And uh, But nowadays, we uh, sometimes we do, there's a couple of guys who during the winter arranges like bar fly, as it's called, like events when we meet up in a bar, talk shit. And, but we don't have any like, Oh, if I go there, the fly fishing guys will be there. We don't have that really. Uh, but the community of fly fishermen are very, it's a big, big thing in, in the West Coast in, in Gothenburg. So, right. Uh, so, what, let's talk sports. Um, are you a follower of Torsland IK? Are you a hockey guy? Where do you get your fix in sports? Tell us. Uh, well, I've never really been into uh, like soccer or. Uh, hockey or anything uh, I used to do uh, I used to compete in powerlifting uh, I was just just under the national team level so I was bringing home medals from the nationals but never I, I, I lack the last that last piece to, to get like uh, international competition level hmm. uh, it was pretty fun yeah. I did that for um, some 14 years or something on and off sometimes i had a year off or something and then came back biggest lesson that you've learned in your fly fishing journey so if you had to kind of distill it down to a single takeaway kind of what fly fishing brings into your life and the lessons that you've learned what would that be to put in like a word what i if i would describe how i look at fly fishing today or right right I would say a word that I would love to use if I would teach someone is simplicity. Uh, I mean, everybody who's been fly fishing for several years know that we, in the beginning, we get the necessity. We need the rod, we need the line, we need the reel. Then you need waders and stuff like that. But then after a year or two, you start... Uh, you start gearing up on, on unnecessary stuff sometimes. Well, every gadget has its point, but you, maybe you don't need it. Uh, and then you're starting overanalyzing flies. Every, for example, salmon fishermen's 
in my opinion, a lot of times, if they go for a, a run through the pool, nothing happens, then they change the fly, go another one, and then change the fly again. And in my opinion, the fly is the last thing I change. Uh, I, hmm. I, I rather change the way I presented that fly in speed or depth or which angle am I swinging this fly through the pool? Where am I standing? What angle can I get the fly? Can I get the fly to hang around in the, the potential biting place or is it just, just, just swoop around or those things, in my opinion, instead of uh, having a fly box with 48 different patterns in five different sizes, keep it simple. I mean, mm -hmm. Uh, when it comes to Atlantic salmon, we have like a well, it, it, it's a little bit of as a joke, but it's also said with a lot of truth. Uh, when it comes to fly patterns, uh, as long as the sam, uh, as as long as the fly is black, I don't care what color it is, uh, because it will work. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's a, it's a go-to for sure. Yeah, that's uh, that's good advice. I, you know, you're right. We do we do overthink a lot of things, right? And and I have talked in the past to a lot of uh, well-known fly fishers, and they say the same thing as what you're telling me. is like, it's better to maybe get that fly in a different water column, work it differently, like you say, different speeds. The, the fly is sometimes the first thing we change when maybe it, it shouldn't be. Yeah, I think so. Hmm. What Fill in the blank for me. When you're not fly fishing, you're usually doing what? Uh... Well, I used to do a lot of powerlifting, as I said. I don't do that anymore. Uh, I do train normally. Uh, well, this year has been upside down with all this craziness with COVID. And so natural, normal routines is not really there. Uh, normally, mm -hmm. I do some like weight training just for to feeling good and keeping healthy. Uh, otherwise, I do enjoy cooking. Uh, uh, I've yeah. started doing a lot of garden work with my girlfriend that just moved in and I did not expect me to be that interested in the beginning, <laughs> but it's very, very fun. We actually ate our first homegrown potato yesterday. It was very fun. It was very tasty. Awesome. So. It's amazing how many uh, fly fishers I talk to that are into gardening. There's some crossover there for sure. Yeah, I think it brings it a little bit closer to nature. And, and, and I think the whole thing that... Uh, it's very enjoyable to the things that, for example, fishing, when I'm, I'm catching the fish, whether I'm keeping it or if I'm releasing it, uh, I'm the one who's catching that. I have, have made a plan. Uh, I'm trying to think of something, how to get that fish to take my fly and like succeed. And this, I think it's things with the gardening when I like, okay, I wonder if this works. Will, will, will this, plant of chili will enjoy this or will will it not or can i actually grow ginger and turmeric outside on in sweden or will it be too cold that's also something that both me and my girlfriend are experimenting with now and i think when you succeed in it it gives the same kind of satisfaction i think yeah well put why don't we switch gears and, and talk, uh, let's talk about your business first off, uh, TSD Fly Tackle. How did you come to start that and uh, what's that journey been like? Uh, well, I started my fly fishing business with, uh, with uh, the uh, online shop with fly tying materials and, and guiding and instructing, casting instructing and with the hopes and dreams that, okay, I hope I can make this my living in a 
pretty competitive little uh, mm-hmm. sport. Or uh, so I, when I started all of this, I also was uh, I got contracted with uh, Loop Tackle Design, uh, Swedish and Scandinavian brand, uh, whom together with uh, Put Danielsson invented that large arbor reel. So Loop was uh, a very big company at the time and still is. And I was contracted to them doing a lot of demo work, fly fishing fairs, uh, casting instructions. Uh, and I also had uh, some ideas what how I wanted the line to be or uh, how to taper, in my opinion, because I was fishing extremely much at that time. I still do if I have the time. Uh, I don't have the same amount of time anymore. But uh, So I, w- I also presented some ideas to loop, like how I want the line to be, a coast, the perfect coastal line. And, and this was around 2010, 11, uh, which was a couple of years where loop had a, a little bit of rough patch. Uh, and I felt, I mean, if I felt like, okay, I'm, I'm trying to do this full time. And it was just in those last years when I was still doing extra work uh, outside of fly fishing to, well, pay the rent, basically. Uh, mm-hmm. So I kept that line design or taper. I melted together like five or six different types of fly lines to get what I thought was the perfect taper. And I presented that. And they were like, nah, nah, mm, ah, we, we already just made the new lines here. And I was like, okay. So I kept that. I, I measured it up with diameters and weight per length per meter and everything so i had that and then i felt i told loop like okay i'm 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 out and i'm gonna try to make these small things on my own because i've been in the business for a while and had contacts with uh, manufacturers both in england for lines and china korea for fly rods new zealand i started doing some rods there as well but in the beginning the first thing was one coastal line and then a couple of spay lines and then my first single hand rod and my first 15 foot spay rod so I started slow and small because i mean uh well financially i didn't have the money to do more so i uh, i had to really think about every step mm-hmm. uh, in, be- before every year okay can i afford is do i have a market enough to present a switch rod uh, do i have a market to do a 13 footer or uh, and with time, with all my clients from my casting lessons and uh, fly fishing trips and also uh, social media, I was getting bigger and bigger. And uh, I had my website which has been up and running for several years. So I started feeling that I had more and more uh, clientele and more and more market. So I slowly did just more and more. But I focused on what I was good at or uh, what I also enjoy most, which is the coastal trout fishing or salmon fishing for spay fishing for Atlantic salmon is what I would love to do the most. Yeah. Uh, So up until I think it's like three years ago, I made my, uh, I felt that, okay, I know I can really go a little bit more all in with it. And I presented my first real big full collection of uh, rod series instead of just a 13 foot in that one and that one. And I did a lot of custom rod building in the beginning because it's, uh, for example, working with New Zealand and CTS as a producer, uh, I can order 20 blanks and build 20 rods instead of China or Korea, it's minimum 50 per model every time. So in that time, it was easier for me to uh, not having big 
stocks with the expensive rods. Uh, so I did a lot of custom custom rod building in the beginning. Uh, I still do. I'm actually building two rods now that needs to be shipped out before this week is done. We're chatting today with Telus Gatsogianos uh, out of Torslanda, Sweden. Uh, Gothenburg uh, would be, I guess, Gothenburg, the biggest uh, kind of city near you? Uh, yeah, it's the second biggest in Sweden. Stockholm is the biggest, uh, okay. and Gothenburg is the second biggest town. So We're us, located west coast. Dallas is um, a certified casting instructor, world champion, spade casting uh, champion, guide, um, tackle shop owner, TSD fly tackle. Let's talk about spay casting. So you can really dial me in on this. It's not something I have done anything like i have not spay cast a, a day in my life it's just not not what i do but I, I sure would love to learn it one day if you had to um get somebody started what kind of advice would you give them where would you start them out just kind of simplify it for us if you don't mind uh well we can put it like this if because uh, that's what we're trying to do as instructors is trying to uh use as little words as possible to explain something pretty advanced if we put it into detail. Uh, so if you put like three key points of spay casting, I would say is one, we're, we need to create what we are calling a D loop. Uh, we're doing a, instead of like an overhead cast when we're throwing the line over the rod tip, we need to do a certain movement like a sweep. Uh, we're sweeping back the line or swinging the line backwards where the line never passes uh, or never goes over the rod tip. It should always hang under the rod when you're doing that swing backwards. And if you analyze your movement backwards, if you've done it correctly, you will see that the shape of the line behind you is formed as a D or a V loop, depending on speed and uh, a little bit of movement, but we're still calling it that a D loop. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when we have done that, okay, I've managed to make a nice looking D loop. Okay, key point one is done. Uh, when that D loop is uh, passing you or going backwards, we need to uh, know a little bit of, uh, about key point two, which is the anchor. We need to anchor the tip of the line and the leader to prevent the line to keep moving backwards. Uh, so the anchor's main purpose is to prevent the line to going back. So if I put the tip of the line in the water, the D loop on line will stop behind me and of course there's a lot of timing issues there if i wait too little the line the anchor might rip if i'm waiting too long i get too much uh, line on the water and also will create the slack in my d loop if i'm waiting too long the line will not have the line tension anymore so it's a, mm-hmm. too little too too long those are the things that we're working with after i'm creating the d loop i have to work with my timing right uh, and the, and the third and very important key point is uh, alignment. Uh, I need to align the anchor and the, the mass of the fly line, the D loop, towards my target. Where am I casting? Okay, I'm casting, let's say, 50 degree angle change from river, my bank to, to the opposite side. I want to cross the river with diag- diagonally with, like, say, 50 degrees. Mm-hmm. That anchor needs to be pointing somewhat towards that. Uh, uh, target and the D loop and the line behind me needs to be also pointing towards that. So when I'm doing that angle change, uh, 
uh, that's also when it's uh, by definition called a single spay cast or a spay cast. If I'm not doing the angle change, it's uh, by terms a switch cast, which in my opinion is like a little bit splitting hairs. It's still the same cast more or less. Uh, but I need to, the difference between then doing a switch cast and the, the spay cast is that uh, I need to get the alignment correct. I need to swing that line around and move my body so the forward cast is positioned better for my my target. And the, the line, the mass of the line and the anchor needs to be somewhat parallel and targeted towards that. Mm-hmm. So if I if I work with those three key points, D loop, anchor, and positioning or alignment, uh, I can easily go through subtitles when something is not working. Right. How often tell us when you're say you're teaching somebody to spay cast from scratch and it's new to them. Do you video their cast a lot? Is video uh, something that you use when it comes to yeah. spay casting? Especially nowadays, since it's so easy, everyone has a, more or less a smartphone with a good video camera. We can film in slow motion as well. So uh, sometimes I don't do it. It depends on the the the, uh, the client really. Sometimes the person is just getting every moment or every uh, every key point is there, and, and he is very he or she can very easily see what I'm talking about. Oh, can, if you follow the line, can you see that? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. In those times, I don't film. Uh, well, I do sometimes as well, but it's mostly when uh, it is a big hidden uh, hidden error, which is very difficult to feel. For example, creeping in a cast, if you're doing those uh, moving forward with your odd tip or forward and upwards, that's a very difficult thing to get rid of if you're not seeing it. So those is very good to do, for example, slow motion clips, and then you'll see how uh, the rod moves uh, without intention to move. Uh, is, is it nice when somebody comes to you with no experience? So in other words, they don't have any bad habits yet? Because I, I know once you start developing some bad habits, it's pretty hard to change them. Uh, yeah, but it's also very, uh, for me as a, I mean... Hands down, I'm I'm a fly casting nerd, uh, and I, I really enjoy everything regarding casting. So of course, be able to uh, help someone with a bad habit to remove that habit or get the feeling of aha, I, I know I get I get what you mean. Now I just need time to practice to get rid mm-hmm. of it. That's also very a rewarding feeling. But I love love all parts, uh, and it's. For every year, I get better and better at what I'm doing because I'm striving to be better. I want to be better at what I do. Uh, but of course, to teach someone who's never casted before is also very fun, and for them to to get a little bit picture of uh, why is this so much fun. Uh, mm-hmm. The reward of throwing a nice loop. Everyone gets uh, a little nice smirk on their face when they're throwing away that beautiful shaped loop so of course regardless of previous experience uh it's very enjoyable sure Uh, tell us a little bit about the world fly fishing championships that you're in as far as spay casting that you won and i want to say was it 2016 yes yes so walk us through that what is it like competing in that where where did this take place and, and walk us through that uh 
Well, fly casting and spay casting and uh, what's also called uh, with the five weight draw, the trout distance, those two events has been, uh, people have been competing in those for like ages. For example, you have one competition in San Francisco called Spayorama, uh, which is like the mecca of spay casting competition. Uh, but in 2010, uh, ICSF, which is the International Casting Sport Federation, uh, included fly casting as an official sport. So that the first world championship was 2010, then 12, 14, 16, every, second, every two years. Mm -hmm. uh, so my journey with competitive casting started in 2010. Uh, so those first years I, I trained a lot and I, I uh, experimented a lot with styles. I mean, I knew I was a good caster, but uh, looking at these guys from uh, Scotland, Ireland or America and even Norway as well, these great phenomenal competitive spaycasters, they had a few years uh, more experience. So I practiced a lot. Uh, mm -hmm. And changed. I think the first five years I changed my style about six or seven times uh, until I like found uh, what I felt was the the most efficient or the most uh, the, with the best hit rate, uh, most comfortable everything. And so around 2000 and well, 2014 was the first year I uh, like really started doing. Uh, very good. Uh, I took a silver, uh, bronze medal in the 18-foot spay event, which is the, the biggest event we have, or the heaviest one. But my main focus was always the 15-foot spay, which is uh, you're doing a left uh, left single spay and a right single spay, and the total of those left and right casts are what you're competing with, the hmm. total meters. Uh, so... 2016, we I was also at that time, I was the captain of the national team of Sweden. Uh, we went to Estonia, where the world championships were held, uh, with these six different events, from single-hand accuracy to uh, shooting head, overhead casting with 15-foot, and then the spay events. Uh, and that was just one of those weekends where everything, all the elements for me was there. I had... Uh, I felt good practicing up towards the competition. The day before, I took a silver medal in the 18-foot event, so I was, of course, feeling very confident. Mm -hmm. uh, and also the, the practice rounds where us spaycasters were in the, in the corner of that lake practicing day in, day out before Saturday, which was the comp competition day. I mean, I, I, I noticed that I was... Having, I had more clean cast. I was doing all these practice rounds. I was standing on the side measuring a little bit how they were doing, and I felt very good. Uh, so uh, the com competition day, I won the qualifying round uh, with several meters. So I felt very confident in for the uh, before the final round or the uh, finals. Is uh, this? Are you on a platform? Are you in a boat? Are you on the, uh, the eight, shore? Uh, the overhead casting is a platform or like a small, not not bridge, uh, like a pontoon or something. You're standing just above water level. Uh, 18 foot spay is the same, but uh, 15 foot spay, we're weighted uh, about knee deep. Okay. So we're out in the water, uh, knee deep, about two to three feet deep. 
Now, how, how important is the accuracy of the cast? Is it all about the distance, or is there a combination? Uh, in these events, it's just max distance. Uh, we have the accuracy, with the, the trout accuracy, with 9-foot, 5-weight. Uh, otherwise, all the other ones are distance. Uh, same with the spay. Right. But you need to make, for example, uh, with the spay cast, uh, you need to do, the delivery cast needs to do without any... So, for example, you're placing the line outside of the markers because the cast has to be 40 degree angle change or more. Uh, so you're not allowed to do like a straight sw switch cast. You need to do that angle change on both sides. Uh, so if you're unlucky, for example, if a dust of wind comes and blows over the the fly, which is a piece of yarn in, uh, in the end of the leader, if that lands on the wrong side, even if the rest of the line is on the right side, it's not it's not a... It's a false cast, or it's not. Uh, it's not counted for. Hmm. So in that matter, you need to calculate if you're feeling that side winds are coming, or uh, you need to have those things as well into consideration when you're uh, casting. How much of this is pure technique, and how much of this is feel? Uh, well, technique and timing is, of course. Uh, I mean, that is the most important. Thing, especially at the moment, but I'm 100% uh, certain that like every other sport when it comes to casting something or throwing something or hitting something, if you have a, uh, if you manage to do that cast perfectly, as perfect as you can do, and you're able to add a little bit more power to it on the right position or right timing with a little bit more energy, of course, it will cast further. Uh, so, of course, I mean, in if we would if we would be practicing or competition these these things if we were be as serious as like a track and field or a golf or anything of course the one with a little bit better physical capability or a little bit taller a little bit stronger will have the benefit of it but it also comes down to the technique is the most important the t timing and the technique Something tells me about your personality as far as, you know, you say you, you did a lot of competitive powerlifting. you got to be really dedicated. Uh, you seem like a guy that's, that's very, very focused and, and dedicated to what he's doing. Yeah, I would, most of the times, yeah, I would say so. <laughs> uh, I am a little bit like either I do it or I, uh, either, either I do it all the way or, or I, yeah. I don't bother doing it. Uh, most of the times it, it is like that. <laughs> let's get back to some kind of leisure time on the water for you so when you're not working take us through your perfect day on the water kind of paint us a picture you know what does it look like what what type of fish are you are you chasing um describe your ideal day tell us for us well well i mean that's the beauty of fly fishing there are so many varieties and a lot of uh, the seasons uh, for example, I've been now lately, the last three years now, I've been falling in love with the tropical fly fishing, like in Mexico, for example. Uh, saltwater species, are, it's the whole the whole thing is so enjoyable. The fact that you can lay on the beach with a pina colada and then just run out because there's a school of bonefish coming in. Uh, <laughs> that, I sounds I love that. that sounds yeah, good. Yeah, I love that combination. Uh, but if someone would say, tell us, okay, you're allowed to do one more uh, fishing what will it be? Uh, and for me, the swinging a fly for an Atlantic salmon, for example, in Norway, uh, there is something 
with it that I, I, I haven't yet found anything that beats that feeling. For example, uh, fishing in uh, after a nice day, having a nice dinner, glass of wine or something, then coming down to the river, it's the sun is starting to set. You get that beautiful uh, violet color of the sky, and the the water is starting to turn a little bit black, purple, and you have this uh, big, beautiful tail out in a big, broad river, clear water. You see a four or five Atlantic salmon rolling in the surface in the tail out. And I'm standing there with my 15 foot rod with a big sun ray shadow or something on it. That, in my opinion, would be uh, uh, what I would love to do uh, forever. Or if someone say, this is your last, you were going to do your last cast now, what you're going to do. And I was that scenario would be definitely what I would love to do. Mm, that uh, sounds pretty good. I, th this... Atlantic salmon are so romanticized. I mean, like, I mean, even I remember yeah. growing up, I'd see these photos and I've never fished for Atlantic salmon. And, and I know that it's, it's not an easy thing to do anymore. It's not like it was 50 years ago where some of these systems, you could get multiple fish days. If you get a fish in a season, you're doing okay. Yeah. I mean, uh, uh, this year, for example, both Norway or, uh, the Atlantic fish, Atlantic salmon fishing in, in Scandinavia this year has been very good. And in and the river I spend most time in normally in Norway, it's called Orkla, which is like in the middle of Norway, uh, which is my, I would call that my home river, even though it's uh, 800 kilometers from me. Uh, I've spent 68 weeks in that river. So I'm missing that one very much this year. And the fishing this year has been really good. Unfortunately, when we were locked in Sweden, uh, <laughs> right? But yep. uh, then we have, we have Baltic salmon as well. I mean, it's it's still the same species, Salmosalar, but it's uh, the Baltic salmon doesn't leave the Baltics. It goes out from the river, but it has its uh, migration pattern and and their feeding areas in the Baltic Sea. Uh, what would so be the, the difference between the two? Is one bigger than the other? Is it... Yeah. Oh. Some of the Baltic rivers has a higher average weight uh, than uh, than the Atlantic rivers does, but the maximum weight, the theoretical maximum weight of the salmon is probably the same. I think some of the rivers in the Baltic has a high, higher, especially during like May or June, early June, the spring fish, uh, they can sometimes average above 20 pounds. Uh, but they are very elusive and there are very few of them. So you are spending a lot of time trying to find a needle in a haystack, especially in April and May. Right. Uh, but it's very similar to steelhead. Uh, it's pre pretty similar to steelhead. Uh, Fishing-wise, we are swinging fly. We're, the biggest difference is Atlantic salmon or even Baltic salmon. We're, we want to hide the fly as long as possible. We want the fly to come out of nowhere and surprise the salmon. Uh, so we are fishing uh, with a higher speed and more uh, more angle on the cast, and we're walking way more steps between each cast. Uh, I've been over in Oregon and Deschutes River fishing steelhead two years in a row, and the biggest difference I've noticed is uh, steelhead, we are trying to present the fly several times to get the steelhead to like wake up, take my fly. Mm -hmm. And that is, that is a big difference. Uh, otherwise, it's very similar. Interesting. I'm going to ask you something a little philosophical. Tell us, um, 
is there something you wish we could change about our pastime? Is there something we could be doing better in the sport of fly fishing? Uh, well, I mean, like every sport or everything, uh, we are getting more knowledge. Uh, sometimes we lose a little bit of knowledge, like in everything, and sometimes we're over-analyzing stuff. Same with the tackle industry, we're trying to like reinvent the wheel 10 times over. Uh, but I would say, I mean, especially in salmon fishing, uh, there is so much prestige and so much, especially now with social media. I mean, uh, of course I want to catch a salmon. Of course I want to stand there with a grin on my face uh, with this piece of silver bar. But it's been, I mean, it, people are now... Uh, I think the social media is a little bit destroying uh, the, the, the passion of it. People are getting, uh, they just so much want, need to catch that salmon. And I think a lot of people have lost the, the, the purpose. Why? Uh, mm. Or the, the, I mean, if you ask someone, did you enjoy your week? Uh, no, I didn't catch anything. Okay, so you, you did not enjoy the fact that you were out in nature for a week uh, swinging a fly, <laughs> having a bonfire, having a glass of wine with friends. You're not. Did you not enjoy those things or did you just not do them because you were so, you just needed to catch that fish? Uh, well, I think everyone is changing in, in their fishing career or, or whatever you want to call it. I had a certain amount of years. I was also that crazy guy. I didn't leave the river uh, if I didn't really need to because I wanted to catch that fish. And numbers were very important. I need to catch this and this many salmon, otherwise I'm not satisfied. But that passed pretty quickly for me. Uh, mm -hmm. Of course, I want to, in, in the end of the season, of course, I want to have ca caught a couple of fish. But it, the numbers for me is not as important uh, rather than the how or the way I did it or uh, did I enjoy the ride there. Yeah. I, I totally understand what you're saying, and uh, I I think you're you're bang on. Like a lot of, it's almost like we're all searching for that perfect holy grail of photos of a, a specific fish. Whereas sometimes I think the I find the most interesting social media posts are the 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 different just different angles of looking at it. If somebody takes a beautiful picture of someone casting in a certain light, or or the small things, insects hatching. Um, I wish we had more of that rather than just the trophy, you know, grip and grin. Yeah. Yeah, the hero shots. Yeah. Yeah. No. Uh, I mean, I, I love them as well. I mean, uh, I mean, and from time to time, I also have my hero shots and, and those big green shots. But uh, I also do enjoy, as you said, the fact uh, sharing the journey towards that or mm -hmm. what did what happened in between. Exactly, and that's uh, the and that's where the. You know the the passion, the pleasure comes in the details in between, right? Yeah, 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 definitely. Why don't you uh, speaking of social media? Why don't we get your media handles out there so somebody can uh, kind of follow along and uh, maybe look up uh, TSD Fly Tackle. Look at some of. The, I know you've got your own rod line, which we can talk about. But how do people find you? Where's the best place? Uh, well, you can go to tellisflyfishing.com, which is. Uh, the site which uh, well, and at the moment it's in Swedish I'm, I'm do, turning that into an English version as well uh, but there is like the, the different uh, 
fly casting uh, arrangements or trips uh, or hosted trips that I do, but also my online shop, which you can then find all the information about the, the lines and the rods and my fly tying materials. And so telusflyfishing.com or social media like Instagram is telus uh, underline uh, fly fishing. Okay. Uh, Got it. And I have a, uh, the Facebook one is uh, Telis Flugfiske, which is in Swedish, uh, but I write, uh, or TSD Fly Tackle. If you search for either of those, you will come to the same Facebook page. Tell us a little bit about your rod series, the TSD rods, because I know it's something you take a lot of pride in. Maybe walk us through uh, this series of rods that you've created. Uh, sure. Uh, well, you can start with the, the lightest equipment I've, um, or rod that I made, or even lines for that matter. It's five weight, a nine foot five weight. Uh, typical, like, smaller or normal stream uh, fishing for trout, rainbow trout, grayling, uh, lake, lakes and stuff. That the typical five weight rod. Uh, pretty, uh, very light, fast action, but not that, it's not broomstick fast or stiff but it's uh, tip mid flex action which is i i prefer very much with uh, that kind of action curve or how the rod bends when it comes to single end rods i do prefer the little bit more tip flex or mid somewhere in between tip and mid flex rods mm -hmm. uh, then i have two nine foot six weights or six seven weights uh, which is like the typical streamer fast action rod uh, which we're also using mostly for our fishing out here for the sea running browns we're using or for the sea trout we're using like six or seven weights uh, with intermediate lines most of the times which i do also do have in my in my line assortment with different types of classic like trout taper lines uh, and uh, some long belly lines as well Mm -hmm. uh, then with a little bit more about uh, like steelhead or salmon rods, I have an 11 foot uh, switch rod, which is in the in the rod series I call Mavros, which means black in Greek. And the rods are designed with black real seed and everything, pretty clean in, in design. Uh, and that ranges from 11 foot up to 16 foot spare rods. Uh, a little bit different action curve than the single hand rods, a little bit more uh, mid flex, a little bit stiffer in the tip to press the action band uh, or curve deeper down. Uh, different feeling. I mean, it, 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 that's a very personal. It's. I mean, a, a rod is like a golf club or something. I mean, everyone has their personal preference of w what they right. like more. Mm -hmm. uh, but then some, I mean, as a rod designer, you're trying to listen to what uh, the people want and, of course, what I I prefer myself because I want to enjoy the rods that I've made by myself as well. Uh, so that's when you're trying to meet what people want, and uh, which is very fun when you succeed making a rod series that is very popular, like the Mavros is sold very good in mostly in Sweden or Scandinavia, but also a little bit outside uh sold to southern europe a little bit i even sold a few rods to argentina for the guys fishing in uh, rio gallegos and rio grande mm -hmm. for uh, sea trout so uh, most of those are nine footers you say uh no uh, oh, it's 11. Uh, i have 
Yeah, exactly. I have three uh, nine foot rods, and then it's uh, 11, 12, 13, 15, and 16 foot. Uh, so I have a little bit more on the uh, salmon or spay rod side than I have on the single hand. I always find uh, there's a, that's also what I prefer. I always find there's a gap in the market for me sometimes because I, I I love a ten foot rod, um, but yeah, for the type we're doing a lot of still waters, but. 11-foot rod would be pretty interesting. How light of a rod do you make an 11-foot? Like, what's the, the lightest weight? Uh, I, yeah, that's what I... Most most of the times so you use, like... Uh, well, first of all, I use most of the times so you use shooting head for that 11-foot. Uh, I use that as a... A lot of people use that one as a small, small double-hand rod, but I, because it's a little bit longer handle on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I use it as a long single-hand rod for spay casting in smaller salmon rivers or... Uh, I use shooting heads uh, most of the times on that rod in the range of uh, 22 to 25 grams. So if you would use a traditional weight forward uh, fly line, I would say uh, about an eight weight something, depending on taper and design or right. what what manufacturer. Some Some lines are heavier than others and it still has the number eight on it. So it's... <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I would say, depending on uh, what, if, if you're going to use it as an overhead casting rod, uh, in most of the times you can use a little bit lighter line than we're using when we're spec casting most of the time. But I would say an 11 foot rod, if you would use that as a, a single hand rod, overhead casting, uh, in the end of the day, will be pretty tired. Yeah. That extra foot, uh, you have to, ro- that extra foot rotating that with your uh, elbow and your wrist, it, it gets heavier. You can feel that after a few hours, actually, even though the, the rod itself is very light. That's where the power lifting uh, comes in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Good stuff. Well, hey, is there anything that we haven't covered that you'd like to uh, let, let our listeners know? No, I think we, Yeah. I mean, I think we covered a lot of it. Yeah. Uh, there's always, I mean, we can we can keep going for hours, but I think that's paint, paint the bigger picture of who I am and what I do. Mm-hmm. Well, hey, tell us. I really want to thank you for taking the time to to join us, and I wish you a, a great season on the water. Continued success with your your guiding when things get back to normal and your business TSD Fly Tackle. Uh, you're up to some great things. Uh, tell us. Thanks for coming on, man. Thank you very much for having me. It was a pleasure. The Fly Fishing 97 podcast is brought to you by theflycrate.com. Thank you for listening to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. Your feedback matters. Let us know if there's a person or topic you'd like discussed. Email us at mark at flyfishing97.com. Until next time, tight lines and we'll see you on the water. Mm